So much just happened. Uh, Daenerys goes full Targaryen. Cersei and Jaime Lannister have perished. Uh, the Clegane Bull happened. Arya chooses life over death. Varys is executed for treason. Plus, we're going to talk about some of the other criticisms of the season. And I'm going to go on a bit of an anti-spoiler rant. So uh, buckle up. This is going to be a, a big episode of the EW Game of Thrones weekly podcast. But first, introducing the all-new Toyota RAV4 XSE Hybrid. With sport-tuned suspension, advanced hybrid technology, and relentless horsepower, it's ready to blow past the competition and reduce cities to, to a smoldering ash. Well, maybe not that. And since the RAV4 is a hybrid, it's leaving all expectations in its wake. RAV4's revolutionized style and luxurious cabin give you the comfort and confidence to take over. So if it's power you're after, RAV4 XSE Hybrid's the answer. Visit toyotarav.com slash RAV4 for more details. Okay, so there is so much. Let's start with there's so much to talk about. Um, I'm curious as just for your like global reaction to this episode, Darren, as, as, as a resident critic, I mean, when the episode finished, what was your sort of big takeaway? Uh, big takeaway was exclamation point followed by three question marks, James mixed feelings in general about this episode, which I know we'll get into this week. I loved a lot of the inclinations that this episode was aiming towards. I think it's really interesting to be getting this deep into the show right up to the ending for them to be like really throwing us stuff that is super provocative and super hard to sit with. I love that instinct in storytelling and I think it's great that, you know, this is a episode of television where one of the chief protagonists of the show dating back to season one did not just kill someone the way that say Walter White would do and you'd be kind of like oh like that's not a good thing um she incinerated an entire city and you know I I love the idea of taking you on this journey with that protagonist to becoming someone who is deeply um, uncertain as far as your perspective on her moral nature. Um, I'm not sure the show really earned it, and I think that's why I, I my complaints about the show that you know we've ta- we've talked about this about this a lot this season. There have been things I've not been super into. There's been things I've been excited about. In general, this episode made me feel even more negative neutral about this season in general. It left me feeling like this last episode has a lot of work to do. Um, but what was your global reaction? And P.S., I love the phrase global reaction, and I'm going to start using it all the time in in, in my own writing now. <laughs> I just throw extra words into sentences and hope they work <laughs> to, to try and make myself That's what writing's smart. called. That's what writing's you know, called. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to answer this like sort of in bits and pieces over the course of this podcast because it's it's tough because I heard about the various plot points 13 months ago on set and then I'm watching while frantically taking notes for the recap it's like I can't really have an authentic viewer experience you know to any episode it's really hard to kind of judge it like it should be judged and yeah, I think that's why it's good that we have you on on this podcast as, as a critic who who knows nothing and, and, is, and is kept in the dark in terms of each episode and just goes in cold. So so we, so we can get that critical reaction. Um, I did re- remember thinking on the set. Uh, I think I mentioned it to one of the producers that I thought that the, the the toughest thing the season had to do to pull off was to pull off Danny's turn in the number of episodes they had. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of groundwork that's been laid for this over the years, and we're going to get into that when, we'll, when we talk about that uh, later in the podcast. But, you know, I knew that taking viewers emotionally from rah-rah pro 
Dragon Queen at the end of season seven to this point was going to be tough. It's sort of like when you're driving a car like a Toyota RAV4, for instance, and and, and, and you're going really, really fast. And, and there's that, there's that, there's that tight turn in the road and you're, you're, you're kind of speeding and you're going over the speed limit and you're turning and you feel like kind of precariousness of, of, of that movement, you know, that you're, that you're definitely risking it. And so I've been very curious whether people were going to think that the show pulled that off or not. And looking on Twitter, it's, it's definitely not one opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, there's people who, who, who feel like you do that, uh, that the show hadn't hadn't earned it. There are other people that are just like, Oh, I've been waiting for her to snap for a long right, time. Right, yeah. And, and, and I, and I feel like that, that this is earned. Um, but again, we're, we're sort of getting a, a, a ahead of ourselves because I really do want to talk about various and, and his, uh, execution, which I did really like the way that was handled. Um, the, those dark moments in the opening of the episode, I thought were really gorgeous. M- Miguel Sapochnik, uh, the director, once again, just doing just really gorgeous work. Um, and one thing that I think a lot of people didn't pick up is that it was, and I didn't pick it up at first, um, was that it's, it's, it's implied that he's like trying to poison uh, Daenerys. You know, he, he, he's like talking to uh, one of his little birds who's, who's works in the kitchen and we're told Daenerys is, isn't eating. And it sort of suggested there that he might be trying to poison her. Um, he's also writing letters and, I guess the suggestion is perhaps that maybe he's, uh, you know, uh, doing what Ned Stark did in season one when he, you know, sent off that letter to Stannis, uh, saying that, uh, that, that, that's, that Cersei's kids were not legitimate, that he's might be kind of, you know, you know, outing Jon Snow to, to various Lords. And, uh, he's also just going for broke and confronting Jon Snow on the beach. Um, so there, there, you know, some were a little confused as to why he was executed. I, I, th- I think there's, there's, there's ample things in there, even though one reason wasn't definitively stated. Others have said, well, you know, would the master of whispers been really that, that, that bold about it? Would you know he's normally sort of very, you know, careful and does a lot of subterfuge and kind of operates in the background, but. If you accept that his goal is to save King's Landing and he thinks that she's going to burn the city, then what he does makes total sense because he's like, there's a ticking clock. And if that's his goal, then he really needs to go for it and make some big moves that he normally wouldn't make. I think that's really interesting. And I I also think that a big thing that worked about this part of the episode was the performance by an actor whose name I will try to say out loud for the first time, Conleith Hill as Varys um, was just really kind of wonderful and you know we talked in the lead up to the season James about what do you get with a bigger budget what do you get with more production time it's not just cities falling in on themselves as they burn into ash it's also little moments like when Varys heard the guards coming for him heard Grey Worm uh, coming to take to his, to his execution you know the build up to that is a little more elaborate than it would be usually and you're kind of hearing the sounds of the feet as they're coming to his door and you get a wonderful little moment that I just thought Hill played so perfectly as he is kind of burning his last little message and taking his rings off that just stuck with me so much I do think that I hear what you're saying about why does the master of whispers do all this screaming all of the sudden like why is he going to the queen's consort and basically saying hey, hey like treason huh um and I I I think that one problem I'm having with a lot of decisions in this episode and this season in general is 
when you're doing a final season of TV, you don't want the characters to know it's the last season. Like, they are going to be going on with their lives as far as they know. So when they start doing stuff that is totally a little out of character or a lot out of character in some cases, and it's all kind of because, well, it's towards the end, and so, of course, like, you know, he wouldn't be doing his old whispery stuff. It's a lot more important now. I'm kind of like, there were important things in the past where he was still kind of able to keep it in the shadows and still able to be very much the espionage persona. So I, I struggled with that a little bit. Like him outright talking to John, that seemed to me like a moment that was very out of character. I mean, so, so much so that I honestly thought that was part of some double reverse plan that, that he had, which it turned out to, um, to not be. So I struggled with that, but I do think that that part of the episode, it did have the emotional through line of Varys and Tyrion, which is a relationship that I, I think is just one of the true interesting dynamics of the show. I, I kind of think that almost kind of took over um, for Varys from his relationship with Littlefinger. That was a lot more antagonistic, obviously, but him and Tyrion are both very smart people. They're both people who are ultimately, they think, working towards the right reasons, working towards like rescuing Westeros from falling in on itself, uh, metaphorically and literally. So I, I, for me, that was like the emotional gut punch of that whole sequence, right? Like him sort of saying farewell to Tyrion and then the demon dragon monster looking scarier than ever before rearing its head up. <laughs> so amazing. What a shot that was. I, I, I was like, I don't, we've had a lot of scary dragon moments on the show. I don't think we've ever had one that was... Um, so I'm going to try and avoid saying gorgeously so much, but gorgeously shot. Um, what I really loved in that, in that moment was... Uh, Varys' reaction to Tyrion putting his hand on his arm. He looks surprised. Like, because, you know, you know, Varys is not a hugger, right? You know, he's, he's Varys' sort of standoff, sort of cool guy. And, and, and for Tyrion to do that, it's not just that he's doing that, but he's also doing that in front of uh, Daenerys. It's 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 not a smart thing to do to like go to the condemned you know traitor and like do a, you know a, 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 an affectionate thing like that. And so it's both not tactical, and they're both two tactical men. And it's it's also very very warm and human. And 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 Varys has this kind of like surprised. Like, oh, I'm really surprised you did that. That's that's so sweet, you know, kind of kind of reaction, which I thought was was, was really great. And um, and I'm I'm when watching a scene, I'm reminded of uh, the beginning of season two when Melisandre burned the heretics on that same beach, and and they had their own burning of of, of a different kind, you know, and and uh, yeah, I I just I to be that all that really. That really worked for me. It was it was a nice send off. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you've uh, have you read the uh, Conleth uh, Hill interview? The Conleth Hill interview, James, uh, that you've published. I mean, so so first of all, that's one of my favorite Game of Thrones interviews you've ever done. And to be honest, that still is only my second favorite interview that you've published in the last 14 hours or so. Uh, we'll talk about the other one later. But I just thought he had such a fascinating perspective. Um, you know, I, I'm finding it really instructive to see what a lot of these actors who've lived with these characters what they can have to say when it's their moment to leave the show. And I found it really interesting that 
he mentioned something I, I can only really paraphrase here about this feeling that you know he was talking a lot about a scene between him and Tyrion from a few seasons ago where they were kind of talking about this like, this notion of the freaks or the weirdos who are kind of like underlying the power structures of Westeros and how he kind of felt like that had been a little lost in the last couple of seasons and you know I mean Varys himself has felt sidelined in a way that I think speaks to a more general repositioning in season seven and season eight on, you know, for lack of a better word, like the varsity athletes of the show. And I wonder if we'll look back and wonder if that was another... um, maybe just straight up misstep that was kind of going on throughout these last couple of seasons that this sort of went from being a show where at the end of season one, Varys and Littlefinger would have a conversation in front of the Iron Throne that made it very clear that they were the people who you should be keeping your eye on, that all of the sort of more obvious royals were playing checkers and they were the guys playing 3D chess. Um, But I I just, I love that interview so much. And that was conducted on set last year, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. you know, he was still in the middle of 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 sort of processing the end of his character, and it's interesting because he's 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 an actor who normally always refuses to give interviews while he's in costume, and this is the first time he gave it in costume, and and occasionally his 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 accent would sort of drift from his his Irish accent to to the one that he performs in the show. So it was this weird almost channeling of feeling that you're you're interviewing the actor, but you're also to some degree interviewing the character. Um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, he, he, he was, he was super blunt. He was just like, you know, you know, nothing could console me when I found out I was leaving. Um, he, he was like, you can't possibly understand what that's just like. And, and I was in, the, in this position of, of saying, Hey, you know, I mean, you made it to the penultimate episode. He, he, he was like, yeah, but you, you, you still feel like you're, you failed somehow when you get written out of a show. And he accepted that it, it was a great ending for his character. He accepted that it, that it was a right ending for, for Varys. Um, yet uh, I think the thing that he, he probably does still feel, um, now this is that, uh, he felt like his character got a little bit, you know, short change in the final two, Seasons as the focus on the ensemble show shifted more to the leads and and wish he had had more scenes like, you know, he he's like, you know, why didn't I even react to, to Littlefinger dying? You know, the, I didn't get to get to react to that. So, um, you know, he, he definitely had kind of mixed feelings and and was, uh, you know, good enough to, to, to be just just utterly candid about that, which you don't normally get normally an actor, regardless of how they feel kind of goes in, into PR mode, you know, to, to some extent when 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 they do an exit interview. Well, and what I love, too, is that, you know, his interview, and I, I just thought that reading that after the episode, it reminded me, wow, this was such an incredible big moment for the show to lose this character who, especially after the death of Littlefinger, symbolized um, this perspective on the show as being about the powers behind the powers and with him gone we do kind of move fully into this final fully climactic um, all the money's going to be there on screen version of Game of Thrones. What I thought was interesting too is as this is all happening over on Dragonstone, Dragonstone, which it's, yeah, you're right, James. I, I, I'd sort of forgotten about the fact that this was previously where other people were being burned. Dragonstone seems to drive everybody crazy. It's real bad feng shui in there. Um, while this is all happening, we sort of get a, another big twist in the episode that Daenerys, 
um, just is not looking good. I found it so interesting the way that Amelia Clark played it and the way that they'd clearly sort of um, designed her look for this episode that she just looked extremely pale and extremely like someone who had um, truly uh, fallen so far from being, you know, at the start of this season even when she kind of arrived up in Winterfell and was just the sort of perfected vision of here's this almost fantastical royal monarch who's coming here to save the day. Um, how did you kind of feel about what we saw of Danny throughout this sequence and how it relates to what she would do later in the episode? It felt like this was the scene that had to carry a lot of weight for her final decision uh, in King's Landing. Yeah, she she seems like so emotionally hollowed out and devastated and just, uh, and yeah, looking unlike we ever we ever have seen her before. Yeah, even if you have issues with her mad queen turn. I think it's fair to say that Amelia Clark is just knocking it out of the park in terms of this season. I mean, her performance in, in all these scenes is just terrific. And she, uh, she, yeah, she, she's clearly just looks like somebody and seems like somebody who, who just spent a bunch of time just crying and not eating and is, furious and sad and you know is kind of emotionally spent uh that scene with her and Jon Snow with that Targaryen fire between them um was super intense and it one thing that Kit Harrington pointed out is that once he learns about his parentage every time they kiss he's always the first one to break it off and, you know, she's looking for love and affection from him and he won't give it. And, you know, I think to some extent, you know, to her, that's like the last thing. It's like it's like the last the last thing she was kind of holding on to, you know, well, at least I have this guy and this. And and then she's like, well, I guess I don't really even have that either. And that's when she says that, well, to govern by fear, then and I think that by that decision where she says that she decides to do it by fear, then I think that's really important. Because it does add a tactical element to what she does later and not just madness. Um, there's a sense that ever since she arrived in Westeros, uh, she's been uh, disrespected and people have been committing treason and sneaking around behind her back and refusing to bend the knee. And it's just like, it's just been this uphill slog of trying to get people in line. And, you know, there's that moment where it's like, yeah, she can just go straight at the, the the red keep and finish this or she can teach a lesson you know just like she taught a lesson to anyone talking about john's uh, claim by 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 burning Varys. you know it's 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 like i'm going to teach a lesson that nobody is ever going to mess with me again like after this there's it's going to be like unquestioning obedience because um you know, a, 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 a friend of mine who's a history buff texted this morning that that it's kind of like uh, Genghis Khan, you know, and and not just you, you have the uh, the Dothraki element, but um, but you know because you have the Dothraki element resembling the Mong- Mongol hordes on horseback, but um, but also because he he had a standard method of operation when approaching a cities cities that offered no resistance. Uh, uh, were plundered, but the people were not executed. But a city that offered resistance was plundered, plus they suffered you know, mass rape and murder. Uh, and so civilians were, were punished for the choices of their leaders. So there, there's a bit of a historical thing there. And there's also a bit of a historical thing with, with, um, with the Targaryens in general, because uh, it, it reminded you, all those shots we've seen of Hall 
oh, you know, over the whole season of uh, of what um, Aegon's conquest did when when you know Westeros is first first uh, invaded by the Targaryens and burning down that castle and, and leaving it into ruin. Okay, um, so yeah, let's let, let's just go ahead and and run it down. Um, you know, because it's like, I feel like no matter what we talk about, we're just going to keep coming back to this anyway. So, so, so let, let's get into Daenerys mad, mad queen turn. Um, there's been a lot of groundwork laid for this over the years, uh, whether you sort of agree that it was earned or not, but, and people can debate that. And I think they're probably supposed to debate that, but um, starting with uh, season two, um, there's a moment where she literally declares, we will lay waste to armies and burn cities to the ground. So she says that. And there's a prophecy in there in the House of Undying when she's walking through the Red Keep's throne room. The ceiling is broken open. Fans assumed the white particles falling into the room was snow and that winter had come to the south. But in Sunday's episode, you know, Danny is taking King's Landing and buildings are being destroyed, but it's not snowing. It's raining ash from her dragon's destruction. So in other words, that might not have been snow. That might've been ash. That might've been a queen of the ashes, uh, foreshadow there. Um, later on, uh, there's like the road to Marine in season four. She finds 163 slave children crucified. She decides to crucify 163 masters in retaliation without really regard for whether each is guilty or innocent. And Sir Barristan tells her, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should be more merciful. But she kind of ignores him. And later, uh, the son of one of the crucified men, you know, tells her, hey, my father was actually a really good person who lobbied against slavery and didn't deserve that fate, which was the, the, sh- the show making the point that, you know, hey, you know, she just crucified all these people. Maybe you should think about that and wonder whether that's actually the action of, of a good person or not. Um also in season four, after Sir Barristan was killed by the terror group Sons of the Harpy, uh, Danny brings three masters to her dragon pit. They all say they have nothing to do with the rogue group, but she burns one of them alive anyway to send a message to the others. We, do, we don't know whether he's guilty or innocent or not. Uh, later on, uh, also in season six, uh, you know, she t- burns all the calls alive after you know they imprison her. Um, then she has the Dothraki promise, you know, echoing Khal Drogo in season one, that they will, quote, kill my enemies in their iron suits and tear down their stone houses. Um, but perhaps the, you know, the biggest foreshadow thing was also in season six, because when Danny returns to Marine and finds a city under attack from the slave cities, she's super mad. And her first instinct is quote, I will crucify the masters. I will set their fleets afire. I will kill every last one of their soldiers and return their cities to the dirt. That's my plan. <laughs> so I mean, it's literally she says, "That's my plan." Return cities to the dirt. So you know, there's been a lot of talk about from her about destroying cities, and I think every time she did it, we just kind of thought, "Oh, Danny, you know, you're just you're 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 just kind of you know you know being a bit hyperbolic there. You don't really mean that. You don't really intend to do that." Um. And now this makes us wonder, well, maybe she did intend to do that. Maybe that to her was always on the table as a method of conquest. Um, the question of whether Daenerys is a nice person or not is, is really key to the whole show. And, 
I think it's a situation where if she, when she's feeling secure and calm, she's very much a nice person. You know, it's easy when you have two armies and um, three dragons to go, you know what, I'm going to rid the world of slavery because, you know, that would be good. Because you can do that in that situation. But when she's mad, when she gets, when she's made really angry, that Targaryen side of her comes out and she pretty nimbly jumps to kill them all as the best solution, regardless of whether it's justified or not. Now, of course, in this episode, it's not just kill them all in terms of being in a battle. You know, we have this moment where the bells are being rung. She can just end it without any death. And she instead decides to nuke a bunch of civilians. And that's super surprising. And you can say, well, that's surprising in a character sometimes surprise you. She finally just totally snapped kind of way, like with, with various kind of uh, hinted at. So you can debate there, well, this doesn't feel earned. Or you can debate that, you know, between her heritage, between her, her genetic predisposition, if you will, uh, towards madness in her family and all that she's been put through this season, all that she's suffered and lost, maybe she just snapped. Maybe she just decided she doesn't care. Or you can put it as a tactical thing, like I said earlier, that she's she's making it so... She's setting this earth-scorching example of this is what happens to anyone who defies me and decides to kind of do that Anakin Skywalker moment of, of embracing the dark side. And people are definitely ha having different reactions to, to, to whether they feel that's earned or not. It's definitely surprising. And I feel like characters should surprise you with, with, with their choices. James, you know, you're throwing so much out here that I think is really interesting. And I guess the one thing that I would pick out is this idea of this moment where it all happens, where the bells are ringing, where everyone has surrendered, that moment really represents a lot of aspects of how Game of Thrones' storytelling has gone, really in its last few seasons, but especially in this last season, where everything just has to be so zero-sum. Like, it's not just that you kind of mentioned Genghis Khan going from city to city. This is the only city. This is Danny. Like, the war is all happening right here. This has not been a kind of gradual build. This is, like, the thing. And by the way, it's not just that she is in this city and all of the uh, armies are fighting in the middle of the city. It's that all of the characters who are left with anything to do in the show have also just arrived in this city. And JB is walking into King's Landing for his final moment and his final showdown. And the Hound is walking in. So, you know, all this stuff you're saying about this gradual buildup we've seen over the seasons, I think that only goes so far because this show has decided so completely it's all going to be happening here. Every moment is going to be taken to 11. So in the case of Danny's decision, if it's even a decision, the only thing I could really compare it to as she's kind of staring up at Cersei and she's on her dragon, it's like the end of Roadhouse when Dalton is like about to do, Dalton is like about to do his like neck pull thing. And it's just like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to pull out the neck? No, he's not going to do it. Like, you know, it's, it's such, it's such an obvious blunt decision. And, you know, I, I don't really see any of the kind of complexity that you're sort of describing playing in there. I think it's interesting the idea that it is a strategy on her part. But, you know, 
I think in order to feel that, in order to feel that her on some level thinking I have to destroy King's Landing to win Westeros, I think we would all have to collectively feel like, well, what else is going on in Westeros right now? Like, you know, I believe when we last kind of heard about what's going on all around the map, it's no longer a situation where the whole country, you know, this is no longer a situation like in seasons three or four where the whole country is just sort of descending into every lord kind of reaching for their own plot of land. If anything, it seems as if actually the table's been set for her pretty effectively right now. The Iron Islands are on her side. We don't really know what's going on with the new Prince of Dorne, although I so hope that next week's episode is a Prince of Dorne-centric episode. Um, but, you know, we're, 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 just, we're all seeing it happening right here. So it just makes her decision, it, it does feel as if the only real character answer is, well, she's gone crazy. And that's just not that compelling. Now, I think everything you're saying is very accurate. I, I think that on some level, the show wants you to go back and see, okay, there's all these moments where she was kind of making these decisions. The Marine thing is a great example. And if anything, we should be studying her time in Marine more because that was a, a situation where for two seasons, she was actively trying to sort of rule in a complicated, political, how do I juggle these disparate parties kind of way. Then in the end, she just brought in her dragons and was basically like, all right, somebody else handle this. <laughs> which, which, you know, at the time, I kind of just associated that with the show just being done with that area and kind of needing to wrap it up. But you do look back and say, oh yeah, like that was your first go round at ruling and that really didn't go so well. Um, but I, I guess that... I just sort of feel like, you know, even if you want to say it's in her blood, it all kind of goes back around to a feeling I'm having in general with the end of the show where, okay, so it's in her blood. So, you know, incest is not that great in the long run. It You know, that's maybe one version of the Targaryen story in general that, you know, the more you inbreed, the more you get people who have different... And the Lannister story. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's the Lannister <laughs> story too. Um, but then you also kind of get into this question of like, God, like, you know, you were sort of saying something about is she or is she not a nice person. You know, I don't know if anyone left is really a nice person, but her decision last night, it really did feel like, well, this is the episode where you either have to choose between like sort of diffident and even kind of boring dudes or queens who are going crazy. You know, <laughs> like this is, this is all that's kind of left. It's, it's either John who is so inefficient at like, actually being a ruler that one time when he was in authority people stabbed him and now he's found himself allied with someone who is burning cities to the ground that's not the one time he was in authority but yeah well well yeah i mean, I mean you know but it's just it i mean again we we've talked about this before and i've kind of joked about this if the point of this show is that you know westeros should be a democracy not run by royal people then i think that's an interesting ultimate twist but i just think that with danny I, I, I wonder if we'll kind of look back and see that, yes, there, there was a kind of Walter White to Heisenberg thing going on with her, but it was just so much more zigzag and it was so much more, you know, there's not that clear turn from someone who wants to save the world into someone who's rapidly destroying it. I think my feelings on it might be a bit textured, too, by doing a rewatch before the final season, having been on set and knowing this was coming because I watched it from beginning to end with all of this happening in mind. And so it felt like those moments popped more. And I'm very curious to see how fans think of this moment because everyone's having this reaction on, on Twitter and so forth. And I wonder if they're going to react the same way 
when they go back and rewatch the show from, from, from start to finish, whether it's going to feel more earned, you know, but of course it should feel earned without knowing it in advance. Right. But, but, but at the the same time, it was, it was definitely interesting watching the show with that in mind, as far as everyone, you know, kind of coming together in this, in this, in this big sequence, you know, all together in King's Landing. I thought that was fantastic because the show has been needing to pay off the Mad King moment for so long. I mean, years ago, we've heard this so many times in the show. The last Targaryen King wanted to destroy King's Landing while it was under attack from Tywin Lannister along with Ned Stark, and then Jaime Lannister killed him. And we've been reminded of that so many times, that proper storytelling insists that Thrones had to somehow revisit that conflict and those decisions. And so a lot of people thought, oh, that's going to mean that uh, Jamie's going to kill Cersei, you know, or, 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 or something like that. And so what they've done is they've brought back all, you know, the children of all those elements. We have another invasion, another Targaryen, the Kingslayers here, you know, Tywin's other kids, um, uh, a Stark, and you have a city at risk of being destroyed by fire. It's like all those narrative elements are back yet they've been remixed to play out in an entirely new and largely unexpected way. Uh, so, the, so the past doesn't just repeat itself, it, but it, there, there's an echo of, of all that, that happened before. And so I, you know, I, I, I thought that was, that was re- really smart storytelling um, in terms of how they handled that. But okay, James, I, I, I think that's fair. And I, I think I, we're coming to fisticuffs by the end of this podcast. No, 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 we, we, we are not. We are not. As, as per usual, you were saying a lot of things that I find myself, uh, that I find myself agreeing with. And I think that, you know, again, just to kind of return to the global reaction, the global review, what was the phrase again that I'm going to start using all the time? Global reaction. A global reaction. Yeah. Just to return to, to the global reaction. I, I like it because it, it makes me feel like we're both sort of cosmic entities from the Marvel universe sort of standing back for a second here. Um, Again, I think it's cool if these heroic people become villainous. And I think that's very much in the spirit of George R. R. Martin's original tale. Um, And in general, you know, it always worries me when people watch shows to such an extent that they are kind of worshiping the people on the show because I think that is kind of the enemy of exciting narrative when you sort of turn characters on shows into, for lack of a better word, like sports teams. You know, you're kind of rooting for them. Um, But uh, you were kind of talking about this idea of we need to pay all these threads off. And I think this is another issue I'm having in general with this season because... One of the cool things about A Song of Ice and Fire and one of the things that Game of Thrones in its early days of adapting got so effectively was this is a show, this is a story where the normal notions of things being paid off and the normal ideas of what should and shouldn't happen in fate and destiny kind of go out the window. And I think one problem I've had in general with these last couple of seasons that really came to the fore in this episode is kind of what uh, you were talking about in your various, in your various interview, what this notion of, okay, we're now focusing on the main people and those main people have things that have to happen. Clegane bull being like the classic example, you know, the hound, who a few seasons ago was going through what seemed like somewhat of a shift and was talking to Ian McShane about hanging out and being with the world or whatever. I, I, I don't entirely remember. Um, he, he decides, okay, my fate, my destiny is I have to go and fight my brother. And even this idea of for the big payoff, all the Lannisters and the Starks who fight and Danny, they all have to be in the same place. And I just find that to be 
a little less exciting. And even, you know, what you're saying about, well, okay, so Arya doesn't ultimately kill Cersei. First of all, it's weird to me that that's the one thing that doesn't get paid off. And even the execution of it is so confusing. It's like, but you came all this way. Like, you're literally in the middle of the castle as it is kind of falling down. And you are just now having this conversation. Now, this is a situation where... Um, I guess if there were more time spent with the Hound and Arya, if we saw more of their conversations about this, if this was still a season three, season four situation where we could kind of see this this build happening, it'd be more believable. As it is, they both just seem crazy. Like, it's just like, you're... You're literally here. There's a dragon outside destroying the world and you're having this deep conversation about like destiny and emotions right now. I just that that doesn't feel like um, that doesn't feel like a left turn to me so much as it just feels like, okay, so you're not giving me the payoff of Arya killing Cersei, but Arya and the Hound are going to have their final moment. It just it, it all feels like these are moments that you could have scripted knowing nothing about the show's last three seasons. Like, it's all these iconic bits from earlier that do come back around. And that's the stuff where, you know, it, it makes me like the stuff in this episode that is a little more random. Like the fact that, you know, Maester, Maester Kyburn just gets his head bashed in for no reason. Like, that that weirdly doesn't feel ornamental to me. That feels a little closer to the spirit of the story, that these these things sort of happen when characters are least expecting it. Does all that kind of make any sense, or am I just rambling a lot about anticlimaxes? He's, he's, he's shaking his I head. Mean, he's shaking his I, head. I'm, I'm, I'm in such disagreement about Arya. It's, it's uh, I mean, look, a lot of times... It, in movies and TV shows, characters in the middle of, of action will like stop to, to to have a conversation. That that that's like that's like that, you can make that argument about every action movie ever, ever ever made. There's like that 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 happens a lot of times when in the midst of mayhem you have an exchange. But Thrones used to be a lot smarter than the average action movie. <laughs> to me, it makes perfect sense because she's going to kill. Uh, she's going. She she's going to kill kill Cersei. Um, then all this starts to happen and the hound very clearly tells her, Hey, she, look, she's already dead. If, if you go in there, you're, you're going to die too. And, and it's not worth, you know, trading her life, uh, for Cersei's. And to me, this is a really underappreciated part of this episode that, that in the same episode, that uh, Danny chooses to to torch the city and and embrace that dark side. That Arya chooses. So one really underappreciated element of this episode, at least in the initial reaction, uh, is that Arya makes her choice to turn away from vengeance at the same time that Danny makes her choice towards vengeance. And to me, it makes perfect sense because uh, you know, there's this, there's this attack going on um Arya realizes that if she goes in there to, to to kill kill Cersei she's probably going to be killed too and this is a moment of her giving up uh you know the 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 list and and the vengeance that that's that's driven her for for so long to me, as as a viewer, I've had some of the same concerns about Arya over the years that I've had about uh, Daenerys. I mean, you, in both cases, you have this 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 young female heroine that you're rooting for, and who's a badass and has gone through you know all this trauma, and she starts killing people and killing people and killing people, and like when Arya took out the phrase, there's this moment it's, you were like, 
wait, are we sure that everybody that she poisoned in that room is a bad person? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, not not entirely unlike when Danny uh, crucified the the, the master. So wait, are we sure that all those are, are bad people? And you know, she's done more and more killing, and as, and as she's done more and more killing, you know, life means less and less. And for in this moment, she she chooses um, to spend the rest of the episode trying to help people. Uh, you know, you know, instead of going down that that path of vengeance, so she makes the opposite choice to to Danny in in the same episode. Um, so I I, th- I thought I thought that was really great, and I love that she calls the Hound Sandor uh, for the first time. You know, giving him some humanity there there too. And I realize that everybody wanted Arya to kill Cersei, and that's exactly why the show shouldn't have done it. Yeah, because if that's what everybody expects and that's what everyone thinks is going to happen, that's what everybody wants. Then it's so against Game of Thrones to to do exactly that. I mean, yeah. it, and yeah, that I feel like one hundred percent certain about. And also, I would make the argument that that would actually be a terrible ending for Cersei. I mean, on one hand, I would have loved to to get an Arya Cersei scene because that would have been great. Uh, I've and I'm sure the writers probably tried to figure out if there's a way to do that to put them both together, but. You know, you know, Cersei, Cersei's death needs to be about everything that's happened over these last several seasons, not just the things she did in season one. Uh, so, you know, Cersei's downfall is that she's made one terrible leadership decision after another. She keeps making these really short-term, brutal, short-sighted moves that alienate her allies. So, for her to end the you know the series uh, alone uh you know with with without without any allies and overwhelmed and overrun and then she's literally crushed under you know, the building that symbolizes her power to you know to me that that's that's a very you know it's a bit abrupt it's like you kind of want to have a little more with her uh in those final moments given how important she is of a character of the show but in terms of being the right ending for for, for Cersei, I, I think there's a lot of arguments to be made that it's the right one. Uh, I would not be making that argument, James. Uh, I would actually say, in general, my feeling with her is I just wanted scenes with Cersei. I, you know, I did not really have much investment in does Arya kill her or what. But this whole season, it's really felt like there's been a missing limb uh, on the show where we've only ever really seen Cersei in this kind of like god mode version of herself like you know I'm staring off and I'm about to kill your friend Danny and I'm sort of you know and I guess that is really another failure of the storytelling to me because even in last night's episode I just sort of felt like and some of this kind of comes down to Lena Headey's performance some of this comes down to the fact that a lot of other characters now are on a little more um of a straightforward storyline. I just thought there was more there. And I'm sure you'd kind of say, well, that's why killing her in this way is interesting. But, you know, this is a character who you go back to what happened in uh, the second season in, in, in the big battle episode there. That was an episode where... I actually remember the battle so much less in Blackwater than I remember the scene of Cersei talking to Sansa and just this incredible moment of kind of seeing beneath the 
I, I am the bleakest possible version of a Disney princess persona of Cersei and seeing the real person kind of lingering under there. And, you know, in this episode, again, I, I came in expecting that she had at least some kind of a plan involved in all of her machinations this season. And I guess the plan was just hire the Golden Company, which didn't turn out so well. But Well, and 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 to surround her, herself with scorpions to take out all the dragons. Totally, so. totally. Which, again, you know, that's a simple matter of, you know, if only someone had, had been able to aim. Th- th- this is another thing where I just think that um, maybe parts of the frustrations with this final season are how basic rules of physics seem to shift. Like, h- how is it that... In a previous episode, from a boat, they're able to fire like multiples of those things at a dragon and hit it all at once. Whereas here, you have a lot of stationary scorpions and they are still not able. This is just the things I'm kind of like, you know, there's a basic straining of my credulity as far as how these things work. If one second they're ultimate dragon killers and the next second they're not. But with Cersei, you know, I, I just had a real bad feeling about her last scene with Jamie that it ultimately came down to after two straight seasons of people just constantly saying, well, one thing about Cersei is she really cares about her children. Like that's, that's been like like the tagline of this last season is whenever someone talks about Cersei, it's Tyrion saying, well, she really cares about her children. Like, you know, to just end on that motivation, like, oh yeah, well I actually don't want my kid to die. Like it's just, it just feels like, another example of the show kind of shrinking a character down into one main motivation right at the end, right at the last moment. And maybe some of my frustration is this is the second straight episode where a woman winds up crying into J.B. Lannister's arms. And again, I just don't think he's like, I don't think he's that kind of character, really. Like, And so I, I feel like this is where I, I, I feel the complaints about this show where in an episode that has the two queens each in their own way becoming, to use a word that is loaded, becoming hysterical, um, you also have in that in this episode a lot of bro downs and a lot of like you know great time with Jamie and Tyrion, like them saying goodbye to each other for the tenth time. Like I, I don't know, that feels like a missed opportunity to me. Do you feel that with Cersei? Even if it sounds like you like her ending, when you kind of look back on her time since she became queen. It just feels as if there's been moments with her that we missed, for lack of a better word. I feel like every positive thing I say about the show makes you hate this episode Not true. more. Not true. <laughs> it's, it's, Not it's, true. It's, 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 it's like you started up here, and, and every time I, I point something out, you're like, actually, now, now that you mentioned that, I Not actually true. really dislike we're gonna, that. We're going to circle around. Yeah. We're going to circle around okay. around okay. a second. I have a... I have a I have a whole list of I have a whole list here of things I liked about the episode. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's the um, here's the common ground I think we have on this. Um, again, I'm not a critic, and I don't you know, and my viewing situation is kind of uniquely compromised. So I, when people ask me, well, what do you think of that? What do you think? Of that? It's like, well, it's kind of hard to accurately say. But I, I think the one thing that that I feel that that overlaps with a lot of things that you're saying is that is that I wish that there were more, right? Yeah. It's like I wish there were more episodes. Like, like this final season were 10 episodes and everything had gotten to play out a little bit longer than I feel like some of these beats that fans are struggling with would have played a bit better. And, you know, the 
the showrunners often say that they can hear the characters' voices in their head, and and I've interviewed them so many times, I can sort of feel like I can hear their voices in in, in my head when it comes to things like this, and I can completely imagine, um, you, you know, them them saying, you know, well, you know, if the worst complaint that we get out of the final season that's consistent is we left people wanting more than that's a complaint we'll take. Uh, I know that they were looking to, 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 to speed up and, and, you know, not drag things out as, as they got to the end. Um, you know, it, did they, did they tighten up too much? Uh, maybe they spent two years working on this, like, like seven, seven and a half hours worth of television. And the sense you got from everybody is that they put everything as possible into that. You know, it wasn't two years with some lots of vacation and time off. It was given the massive battle sequences we've seen in episode three and episode five. And plus the amount of time and attention and detail that went into just the talking scenes. There were, one of the actors noted that there are scenes that would take like maybe two days to shoot that we're now taking five days to shoot because they're putting so much time and attention to detail um, in, into every moment. So it's like on one hand, it, it's you want to say, well, it'd be great to have this season be longer and to have spread this arc out, these arcs out over more episodes. But on the other hand, I, from what I've heard, they put everything they had into what we're getting. And at the end of it, everybody was exhausted. I mean, you can see that in all the interviews that, uh, the actor saying that, um, you know, for, for Kit Harrington, it's, it's become a bit of a meme on Twitter, you know, him, him making comments, you know, talking about how, how tired he got, but you know, even like, uh, you know, Sophie Turner ended up taking a break from acting and, and, and taking time off uh, just because of how taxing this 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 season was. So it's like, would more of them better? Okay, sure. But they also gave it everything that they had, um, you know, to try and cap this off. Well, listen, uh, direct response to that. I don't need more time. Uh, get rid of most of the second episode, which is all just a lot of people. Are you kidding me? I, I don't know. This are, is, you, are you well, seriously and, saying that right now? And, get rid of and, most of the second episode. And what you just Everybody said. Everybody loved that episode. What's uh, the, 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 the second episode? I, I wasn't so into it. Yeah. I know that you liked it. But even like, <laughs> even the idea of ending the show with so many battles. I just think that is maybe the beginning of the problem because you keep on saying, James, okay, like, you know, well, there's no time for this. If you're spending like 80 minutes on the final showdown with the army of the dead, which ultimately just comes down to a lot of zombies doing things that are sometimes kind of cool and sometimes are literally unable to be seen on one's television, then that's like a lot of time that could be spent with the characters. And... I think this is another maybe deeper frustration that... I... And yet episode two was nothing but spending time well, and with the characters. You, well, you, 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 right, right now you're sounding like all this action, they should be spending time with the characters. Right after saying they spent all this time with the I'm characters, aware of why that. were they I'm doing aware of that? that. I, I, I'm aware of that. It's not, a, it, it's not a total cure-all because that episode, that was almost more of a kind of reunion, let's all kind of hang out and talk about stuff, with not, not really any feeling of these characters deepening their stories that was an episode that I, I think that to enjoy that episode you had to just enjoy seeing all these people together and really as we discussed then it was very hit or miss it was all kind of like what are the dynamics that are still compelling here having Sansa and Danny in the same room in that episode talking to each other was really exciting um, but if it's just kind of like I don't know more time spent with Podrick or more time spent with Beric Dondarrion and they aren't really doing anything new that's totally time that could be spent with Cersei someone who is 
is still incredibly compelling. Someone who is actively engaged in machinations that may or may not result in her winning the entire war or dying. And, you know, again, this is why I'm saying I... I don't think I wanted more time overall in this season. I think, if anything, the fact that there's been so many supersized episodes speaks to the fact that there's been a lot. Um, so that's not my complaint. I don't want more. I just want different. You know, this is a show that used to be really adept at juggling all of these different things. And so, yeah, you have an episode that is all talk, but it's a lot of it's boring talk, and a lot of it's with characters who just are way less compelling. Um, then you have a whole episode that is this visceral attempt at showing a battle. Well, that's fine. But then again, like you're kind of only as good as the action. And, you know, I, I think that what I am feeling, and it's interesting to see a lot of people kind of reacting to this season in different ways, is if there's two big battle episodes, then yeah, it's awesome. Arya going through the ruins of King's Landing, um, that's incredibly well shot. Um, I, I think that's kind of the apex of Miguel Sapochnik's time on this show. That kind of one long take that then became more and more long takes of her just going through, through the devastation. That's cool. I watched that and was like, wow, that reminds me a lot of the War of the Worlds movie. I'm sure some people felt uh, that like that was similar to other big kind of epic action scenes that previously only happened in movies. I think it was kind of trying to evoke a little bit of 9-11. Totally. Absolutely, which is also what the War of the Worlds movie was doing. So, like, fun. But then, I guess to me, I'm kind of like, okay, like, so now she's doing cool action stuff. That's less interesting in the long run than the real meat of getting these characters together. And so, you know, you're kind of saying, well, how do we get Arya and Cersei together? Um, you know, you're putting Arya in a 10-minute-long, you know, Sturm-undrawing hellscape here. Anything's possible, is what I would kind of say to that. So, <laughs> on that note, end of rant about the use of time in this season. The Arya stuff... Her it did occur to me. It, 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 it did occur to me that maybe there is a way they could have had Arya leave the hound and still go to kill Cersei and and actually get face to face with her and have an interaction with her and then decide to not do it. But perhaps part of the issue was if we're establishing that the Red Keep is doomed and everybody in there is going to die, would it make sense to have her in there and get out too? But, but you know, but that is a potentially a way that, that, that they could have handled that. Well, or does it make sense for her to be in there at all? Again, this is what I'm sort of saying. Like, at a certain point in this episode, I feel like I was watching the Mortal Kombat movie where it's just kind of like, guys, like, everything is burning all around you. Any rational person right now is just trying to escape the dragon. But us, we all have our showdowns to get to. Now, okay, end of rant, end of rant, on to things that, uh, that I liked. Um, Jamie fighting Euron <laughs> was unexpectedly a true highlight of, of, of the episode. I have to imagine, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, James, because Euron in general, he's such an interesting character to throw into a conversation about Game of Thrones, because I've found just kind of anecdotally, people feel literally every possible diverse opinion about him, from, you know, love to loathe to, you know, why did they bring this poochy character onto the show towards the end? I'm all the way in, and I just loved, again, 
this is sort of where I'm getting at frustrations with the show. Okay, so he jumps off of the boat. He's the one person who gets to shore right where Jamie is. This is straining my credulity a little bit. But just th- their fight, which really, there was a strange emotional stake to it because the, you know, Euron in a very deep, buried way is sort of a Cersei romance. And so Jamie fighting him, there's this interesting sort of layer to that. But then Euron <laughs> turning to the camera. And sort of saying in this incredibly like sensual bragging way, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister. That totally worked for me. How did you feel about that? That that was like it, that was in a way like the biggest stylistic decision of the whole episode. <laughs> well, I have I have uh, I have a bit of backstory on that. Um, the actor, I'm, no, I'm going to mangle his name. Uh, uh, Pilu Aesback, I think is how it's pronounced. Pilu Aesback, yeah, yeah. Um, he told the showrunners, "I'm not going to die." And they're like, well, no, you're dying in this scene. He goes, no, no, I am not going to die. He goes, he, he goes, I, he, he goes, I'm not going to play it. I am not going to perform it. I am going to be there, dying with a smile on my face. And, <laughs> and the idea was, is, is that, is that he wanted to be the first character in Game of Thrones to be like kind of thrilled by his own death. And so, so he, he, he refused to perform like this, the, the sort of final gasp or, or whatever. And that's how they leave him. And they, 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 they said, okay. And they went with that. And so the last shot of him isn't dead. He's just dying and just kind of blissed out and, and pretty, you know, I, I mentioned this, this on Twitter. I was like, there's something really weirdly appealing about Euron Greyjoy in that he takes so much happiness in everything. Um, it, it makes it so that in that fight, he can't really lose, you know, he's, he's just kind of thrilled to be there, which is almost like a meta commentary on his late stage addition to the show, because as, as an actor, that's how he feels, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm just thrilled to be in the show, you know, to dive in so late and, and to have a cool part. And you get that from Euron too, um, which I think is a lot of fun. And I, you know, they uh, back, you know, backstage they called this uh, the fight uh, the Dane Bowl because it's um, <laughs> Nikolai and uh, and Pilu, both Danish actors, who, as I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, um, Pilu actually was uh, Nikolai's babysitter. Um, not not babysitter for Nikolai, but babysitter for Nikolai's kids <laughs> back uh, back about like ten years ago. Uh, uh, when he was first starting out. James, uh, I also really um, did enjoy, as much as the, the Clegane Bowl was, that was the apex of what I was talking about with the Mortal Kombat version of storytelling. I, I think that was literally one of the realms you could fight in in MK3, was a kind of stairwell that was falling apart all around you. Great to see um, just some final... Uh, feral moments with Rory McCann as the Hound. And uh, what I mentioned earlier, favorite interview you've ever done for this show. I'll have to go back some time and actually rank it, maybe for our epilogue episode in a couple of weeks. But um, your interview with the actor who played the Hound, with Rory McCann, is delightful. And uh, it really goes on a journey that I actually don't want to spoil towards the end. Right. Um, but, but what was it like talking to him? Because I, I think you've kind of said before that on the set, he is a somewhat hermetic figure, for, for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a fair way to put it. He's um, Every time I went to the set, I was always told by HBO's publicist, you're probably not getting Rory. <laughs> you know, he probably <laughs> won't talk to you. And sometimes that was true. You know, he just wouldn't talk. And if he would talk, it'd be a pretty... You know, a bit of a, a 
a terse kind of you know ten minute uh, exchange. And so I went into this interview with very low expectations and we went into this trailer and, it's, and you know, the trailers are pretty small and bare bones and, and he's, you know, he's such a big guy. He seems to fill the space. And, you know, a lot of times he, he like tries to like, uh, take rest by like sleeping on, on, on the floor of, of, of his trailer, you know, between, between scenes and, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, and, I was just stunned. I was blown away that he opened up as much as he did about uh, how he spent his years on on the set. And uh, you know, I don't want to get too in much too much into it because, yeah, as you, you say, the the interview is a good ending. Um, th- that he would spend the, these his time on set being by himself, and before he would even leave for Game of Thrones, he would call up his friends and say, you know. You know, don't bother calling me. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk. And put himself into isolation <laughs> before going to the set to play the hound. And then when he was on set, he would be the guy that would just go back to his hotel or just go back to the gym and wouldn't socialize with anybody else. And, and as a person who's been pretty introverted o- over my life, it's like I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to being the guy that 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 doesn't go party with with everybody else. And then this is last years this last season, he's really started to open up to people and, and started to make friends. And it's interesting because so many of the actors, you know, are, are unlike the, the characters that they play. Uh, Lena Headey is nothing like Cersei Lannister whatsoever. Rory, as he says in the interview, he's like, I'm, you know, pretty close to becoming the hound, you know, he's, you know, and, and, you know, not, not, not in his total murderousness, obviously, but just in terms of, of being a bit antisocial and kind of gruff and standoffish, offish and and being an outdoorsman that he is. Um, So yeah, that was, that was definitely a fun one. With unexpected twists and turns around every corner, the all-new Toyota RAV4 Limited delivers advanced tech, refined style, available in dynamic torque vectoring, all-wheel drive, and multi-train select. So it's prepared for pretty much anything in its path. Visit toyota.com slash RAV4 for more details. We have discussed most of the farewells. Let's talk Tyrion. Tyrion Lannister. Um, I guess his main move that he has to play now is getting his family to do things and trying to convince Cersei to do something that ultimately never winds up happening. His final farewell with Jaime. Um, Emotional, definitely a moment where you know that this is the last time they ever see each other. I think if you you roll back the tape on this podcast, I've probably said on three different occasions that might be the last time they ever see each other, but now we know for sure this was. How did you feel about the the final farewell of of the Lannister boys? You know, it's fitting. It's so fitting that it happens with Tyrion repaying, in a sense, even though that's not the reason he's doing it, by by releasing his... uh, his his brother from jail and their little you know sort of sobbing hug there uh, is so unlike either of them in, in such a rare moment of of affection in this famously kind of cold family. Um, yeah, I, I I thought it was extremely touching and uh, you know Jamie for for Tyrion Jamie's been like this this unlikely person that that's been his, 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 his defender and brother and, and somebody who really understands him for Jamie too, who's been so misunderstood by so many people throughout his life. Tyrion has been the person that's perhaps understood him the best, uh, along, along with Cersei. So 
it's a big move. Um, it's also a treasonous move. I mean, I don't see how this doesn't have implications for the finale. Uh, Danny warned him not to betray her again. Uh, she's surely going to find out about this. And, uh, you know, she's not in a prisoner-taking mood lately. Definitely interesting to see the show circle back around to that relationship and then for Jamie to Cersei's relationship. Um, I guess in a way this was the farewell for the Lannisters, plural. We're down to only one, and and as you mentioned, we'll see if that one survives next week. Uh, My minor frustration is it is interesting to me to see that the show has continually circled back around to Tyrion attempting to do some kind of plot to save King's Landing, some kind of plot to beseech Cersei. Um, I think, you know, we've talked before this this concern about Tyrion's strategy in general the last couple seasons, and I'm not sure this idea was necessarily any better. Um, But uh, one other interesting kind of thing about this episode, James, is the way it situates the remaining Starks with relationship to Danny. Um, No Sansa in this episode. That's probably why I didn't like it uh, so much. No Sansa, although she looms very large from off screen. Um, And obviously Arya and Jon both have their pretty... Um, compelling reactions to the destruction of King's Landing. In general, um, how did you feel about Jon Snow's role in this episode? Because if I track it correctly, it really does feel like going into next week's finale, there is some kind of reckoning between him and Daenerys that has to happen. I don't think either of them will end up on the Iron Throne. I think right now you're kind of meant to be thinking, you know, will it be Jon? Will it be Danny? Danny has clearly just killed a lot more people uh, than Jon ever has, so that's maybe one consideration. But in general, in this episode that really kind of reduced Jon Snow, um, how did you kind of feel ab- ab- about that reduction to being someone who is just so ineffectual, really, at stopping whatever he's trying to stop? Yeah, I, I think it perfectly served the story and and the focus shift to, to to the characters that that the episode needed most to focus on. You know, one thing I will, will point out is something that's been a bit underappreciated among the final season criticism of Thrones is just how thoughtful pretty much almost every major character's exit has been. Um, it's like that Sir Jorah died protecting Danny is perfect for his character that Theon redeemed himself with Bran was ideal for him that the Night King was killed not by Jon Snow but by Arya who's been learning to be a stealthy assassin the whole show you know was I think both surprising and spot on you know I, I agree with, with some of the criticism of of, of Missandei's storyline as I said last week you know I wish you know she had one-on-one scenes with Danny and Cersei this season uh, to make her death feel more about her and her journey and not just about Danny. Though even in some ways, even saying that, you know, even saying Masande's death was just about Danny, that really isn't fair either. And I think this is part of the problem of sometimes, you know, when we criticize things that happen in an episode, not realizing how they impact future episodes. Because what Danny does this week is very much partly in reaction to Masande's execution. And that ends up impacting everybody. So, you know, you know, Masande's death, which some treated as, oh, that's just shock value and she was kind of wasted. It's like, no, her character wasn't wasted. I mean, this, the, you know, this is very impactful for what happens, you know, you know, later. And then the Hound destroyed his brother by confronting his greatest fear, you know, go, you know going over it and into that fire. 
Uh, Varys was executed for staying true to his ideals. Cersei died to her poor leadership, and Jaime perished because he loved and couldn't break away from his sister. I mean, if you look at each of those reasons, that's all like, you know, people after episode three were going, well, you know, why didn't more zombies kill more main characters? It's, and that's because, you know, sorry, Walking Dead, but zombies killing main characters just simply isn't very interesting. But what's interesting is characters dying as a result of their decisions or the decisions by other characters in a way that impacts the story. And for the most part, you know, the, the deaths on Game of Thrones final season all seem pretty thoughtful that way, regardless of whether you sort of agree with each one or, or don't. First of all, I think that actually the problem with uh, episode three is that it was too much like The Walking Dead, because on The Walking Dead, for the most part, James, the main characters past a certain point have a main character force field around them. So what winds up happening is it's kind of like, oh no, this person who has kind of been around for a while just got killed. Like that is the sort of cheap comparison point there. So that, again, it's, it's not that it was doing anything different from The Walking Dead. That was the problem. And if anything, it was taking pages out of the Walking Dead playbook, which nobody should do, narratively speaking, at this point. Um, but uh, again, I guess this is just something that we'll have to have a broader conversation about next week. But a lot of the stuff that you're saying, I, I see where you're saying, okay, this is all kind of a return to these characters' primal state. And Jamie loves Cersei. So, of course, he has to have that moment with her. And the Hound has an origin story about fire. So that has to be his conclusion. And if anything, that just feels a little cliche to me. It feels like you're basically saying there's one important thing about these characters and whatever else has happened to them over the course of the show and whatever kind of growth they have been on. And in Jamie's case, it's the most obvious because there have been moments where he seemed to be radically changing. It's all kind of a return back to zero. And that's just not that compelling as storytelling. I guess that's why as much of a leap as Daenerys burning King's Landing was, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, I, I just I do find it interesting to think about, and I do find it interesting to consider. You know, what is the ultimate story of this show? For a lot of characters, it's kind of like, well, okay, I guess you could never really change. Which I just don't think that the show itself has even really supported that idea. So it winds up feeling just almost kind of Twitter baity to sort of say, ah, yes, like the Hound was killed by fire. The Hound could have been killed by anything. There, there was a dragon bringing the the freaking like castle down around him. Like, um, but again, with Danny, it's kind of like, yeah, like that's a big big thing she just did and I don't know what that means for her next week and I, I you know whatever complaints I have about the setup for that you know that's that's a change and I just think that you know a lot of the stuff that you're saying it just sort of feels like again not to return to your one example because you had a lot of other ones but yeah the hound something something fire like okay that's that's the bible version of this but this show used to be a little more adept at showing us something we were not expecting um so uh but again this is why as i look towards the next episode there is that sort of excitement about genuinely not knowing how are people going to react to someone who they thought they knew and it turns out they didn't really know at all for for us viewers and for and for the and for the remaining starts and snows <laughs> you, you know i i think the most dramatic twist of uh, of this is, is is how much at loggerheads we are getting, you, you know, on this podcast as, as it goes into the final few episodes. But at the same time, it's like I always expected this to happen, especially after episode two, because pretty much every episode after episode two this season has been closing storylines. Um, 
it's been in a way the series finale has been episode three on for various characters and storylines. And some might be closed now and we don't even know it's like ghost ghost storyline might be closed. That might be the last time we, are, we, we ever see ghost and nobody pet the wolf. That, that, that was, that was one of the things that bugged me the most. It, I mean, not that he didn't pet it, but because it's, you know, it's not a labradoodle. It's a dire wolf. You, 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 as much as we want to see Jon Snow give schnuggies to his killer wolf, you know, that's just not kind of the relationship they got. So, you know, I got it, but, um, but you know, but you've been closing storylines and whenever you close storylines, you're going to run up against what people wanted. You're going to run up against what people had in their own minds. So there's no way these last episodes were never going to be not controversial. It reminds me of um, uh, one of the showrunners once said before the start of the show, and they said, you know, even if we pick the best of all possible endings for the show, there's no world in which everybody goes, yes, that was the best of all possible endings for, for the show. And I agree with every other person in the world that that was the best of all possible endings. There's always going to be people there and be like, no, that that's not right. That's not what I wanted. And the question is, is whether they've done the best of all possible endings. And just because the amount of react fandom intensity on the show, you know, the, the tens of millions of people worldwide watching the amount of expectations and the amount of passion, you know, is this a greater percentage that should be, you know, feeling like it's not right? Or is this a actually pretty much what you'd expect no matter what? And that's, and you know, we don't know that answer that you know, there, there's no alternate world version of, of Game of Thrones that we can look at to try and find that out. Until you and I unite together, James, we put our differences aside and put on the infinity gauntlet and travel back in time to create the multiverse where there was a version of the final season where Cersei had anything to do. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And again, we're not even talking about the ending yet. But in my mind, you, you know, the last last four episodes are all endings to, to, to some extent for various characters. And, and then in that case, I guess, you know, my feeling is what you're sort of saying. I, I hear the notion of being frustrated with people saying that's not how I wanted it to end. That's always a big thing that, that comes into play with any kind of show as it gets towards its ending. And in general, I, I try to be pretty... Um, I, I try when it comes to final seasons to just appreciate what the showrunners have decided to do because one of the things the television is TV shows live with you. You start thinking a lot about like where it's going to end up. Um, you know, I, I always think it's compelling to see what's their version of the show. That's what it kind of comes down to. There's no more of the back and forth of us kind of filling in where we think the show is going. And clearly a lot of people thought like, well, Ghost hasn't done that much stuff on the show, but I bet there'll be a lot with him and John later in the season in the series and it's kind of just like no people like the showrunners and people who are making the show just didn't think Ghost was really that important and I, I think that's okay I mean the show was never as much about the dire wolves as the books have kind of been although I think even the dire wolves iconography there can be a little overstated um, but again we only have to work with what we have to work with so far and to me it just feels like this episode cemented the all caps version of Game of Thrones that's what they decided to do they decided to go out with the biggest of all possible bangs. And, you know, we will very soon be talking about this show in the context of all the other big series finales that, that, that we've seen, series finales that were long planned out, series finales that were accidental. And, you know, the decision to go huge, 
I think in general is not the right move. And I, I, I usually kind of compare it to Battlestar Galactica or Lost, which both ended each in their own way with these mega epic, huge fight scenes that were going to decide everything. And that's just a lot less compelling. But one thing I will say, looking forward, we kind of got that in this episode and there's still one episode left to go. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of, um, you know, the only other kind of comparison that I can really think of with this episode is something like the scouring of the Shire in the book version of, uh, of Lord of the Rings, which is this sort of after the end of the Great War, there's just a lot of super downbeat and sad and miserable stuff that happens. And I like all that. So I, I, I appreciate that we are still sort of analyzing this thing midstream right before what seems like a pretty momentous and if not downright bleak, then certainly really melancholy ending. And I appreciate that uh, Benioff and, and Weiss have kind of decided that that is the approach. Um, but, you know, like a dragon that keeps on flying right towards a boat that has a weapon that can kill it, I'm allowed to question the approach. <laughs> Uh, and James, again, I, I, I said my spo- I, I said that my ranting was done. By the way, we're not at loggerheads. We're still pals. We're just pals who are having a friendly exchange of uh, of ideas. Nobody's selling the other person out to the Dragon Queen yet. We'll see how it goes in next week's episode. Which reminder to everyone: next week's episode is not our final episode. We're going to do an, an epilogue after that. James, what's the spoiler rant you've been on about? Oh, it's, this is something that's been going around my head, and I just finally decided to just say it uh, because every single week before each episode airs, uh, there's been some leaks that have gotten out there. And so there'll be people posting on message boards uh, what spoilers are for that night's episode. And when I post my like hour before tweet, uh, you know, teasing up the next episode, I'll get all these kind of rage tweets back at me. And these tweets are the angriest tweets I see on Twitter all week long are, are the people that went out on a, you know, beautiful spring Sunday, read, read some spoilers for the night's episode and came back and start, you know, kind of ranting about how, how awful the show is. I find this so odd because, and what I want to say back to them that I don't say, because I don't want to reply to them and then send my Twitter followers into looking at what they said, you know, which is about you know, spoilery stuff is, is that what they're reacting to is not game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is the result of the work of thousands of people. It's the process of watching an episode. It's the dialogue. It's the acting. It's the music. Uh, and boy, by the way, uh, the score in this episode, you know, I give a shout out and Twitter and the recap and the, the score in this last episode was amazing. Um, you know, it's the process of watching all that, that only then can you have an authentic reaction to 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 what happened. You know, reading a plot point on a message board, that is not the show. You know, that's not what happened. And it's fascinating to see people like so angry at the showrunners who do nothing but try to prevent spoilers. You know, they're blaming the showrunners for, for for how they feel when they went and did this to themselves. You know, it's it's, it's like they, they deliberately went out of their way to read a plot point, and then they blame the showrunners for how they feel. I mean, and I thought of a metaphor for it, you know, going back to a spoiler we all know. It's like, imagine if you're waiting in line for uh, The Empire Strikes Back, 
and you know back when people wait in line at movies and somebody waiting in line behind you you know grabs somebody walking out of the theater and goes i have an inability to to delay gratification for a couple hours tell me how empire strikes back ends and the person goes oh well uh darth vader is luke's father and then the person just goes nuts and just starts ranting and is just like, oh, Empire Strikes Back sucks. Uh, George Lucas is terrible. George Lucas ruined Star Wars. How did you, you, you know, you know he's, he's a horrible writer. You know, you know this is horrible. You know, this is a horrible movie. Da, da, da. It's like that would be crazy. And that's exactly what I think when I when I when I see these tweets, because it's like it's like you haven't seen the show you don't you know after you see the show then you can say yeah i i hated it and i think this is unearned or 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 whatnot but reacting to it to a spoiler is 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 that's read out of context as a plot point that's not the same thing yeah i I couldn't agree more james The, the reduction of like television and movies and of like this beautiful art form that we've been given by the gods of technology the reduction of that to like plot points I, 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 it comes down a lot to the kind of wikification of fandom, which I really struggle with. Wikification is not really a word, but I'll just try to keep using it so it becomes a word. This sense that like, oh, like if I know what's going to happen, then then I've experienced it. Uh, that's totally untrue. I mean, with Empire Strikes Back, it's not like Darth Vader being Luke's father is even like the most important thing or most notable thing that happens in that movie. It's all about the music. It's all about the incredible moments that are created on screen. It's not just about these plots plot twists and you know this is something else that it's going to be interesting to see how thrones lives in the aftermath of its time because certainly the big twists are what people have tuned in for to a certain extent i think less so than maybe all the talk about ned stark and all the talk about the red wedding less so than you know a lot of times it is just simple as the fact that this is a well-made show but yeah just it's so frustrating because even the way that that reaction reduces the show to its bare essentials, the way it reduces it to something you can kind of like write a wiki page about, it's just very frustrating. So I, I totally share that. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're getting uh, that you're getting a lot of that. I only get tweets from people saying like, hey, good podcast. Also, question for James for next week's episode. <laughs> It's not even a lot, really, but 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 when I see it, I I, I just get annoyed because I'm just like, dude, you're, you're that's not the show, yeah. and you're blaming the showrunners for what you did to yeah. yourself. But um, yeah, hey, did we just agree we on agree. something? I think it's the three. <laughs> We're like, putting we aside see, our differences. We agree on We're something. putting aside our differences yeah. to fight the quote unquote army of the dead, aka just zealot <laughs> fans who are really angry on Twitter. Which n- nobody get angry on Twitter. There's just no point in it. Um, James. Next week's episode, final episode of Game of Thrones, not the final episode for us, lot to look forward to. You were on set for the finale, I believe, so we may have some some check-ins from one of my favorite characters of this season of our podcast is 2018 James, who keeps on popping up at, at, at random times. Um, in general, what are we feeling about this, this finale? What do you want out of the end of Game of Thrones? Well, uh, there's, I mean, it's really hard to say any words about the finale without risking giving something away i will say that um and i'm not done with it yet so i don't know this for sure but i've written dozens if not over a hundred game of thrones stories for this season 
And I think my favorite one is the one that I have coming after the finale. And that's the one where you take a closer look at the spinoff where Euron crawls away from the beach and then sails around. It's all about the new Prince and Doran. Really. <laughs> Finally. It's, it's, perfect. It's, 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 it's an interview. It's an exclusive Q&A with the new Prince of Doran. And I just want some scenes of people talking in ways that are super impactful. Oh, what a dork. Um, all right. Uh, everybody out there, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you thought about this episode. Clearly, we had a lot of thoughts, but we found some common ground in the end. And that's what this show is all about. Finding common ground. Uh, and or burning it all to the ground the way that Danny did this week. Um, tweet at us. He's at James Hibbard. I'm at Darren Franich. Uh, read up on everything that James is writing. James, can you tease anything else that's coming up on the EW.com website in the next few days? Yeah, I have an interview with uh, Nikolai coming this afternoon all about Jamie Lannister's fateful decisions. Uh, so that's a good one. And right now, obviously, we have the Conleth Hill Varies interview and uh, the Lena Headey Cersei interview and a recap and a rundown of all like seven pretty significant times that uh, Danny's Mad Queen twist has been foreshadowed. Oh, and Rory McCann uh, Hound interview as well. So there's there's there's, there's a lot on there. Uh, everybody out there, you can always find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com. Uh, give us a rating, give us a review. We're down to our last two upcoming episodes, but we still want to do our best. We still want to hear what you think about it. Um, we'd love to hear all your thoughts on Game of Thrones uh, as we go into the series finale of a show that everybody is still and will continue to be talking about. Uh, with that, just one final word from our sponsors. Courage can be a powerful asset, which is why the all-new Toyota RAV4 Adventure Grade comes with standard dynamic torque vectoring all-wheel drive and multi-terrain select, so you have the courage and confidence to roam over almost any terrain, no matter how burned to ashes it may be just visit toyota.com slash rav4 for more details we'll check in next week for the penultimate episode of ew's game of thrones weekly 